Do you struggle with doubt sometimes? Raise your hand if you struggle with doubt every once in a while. All right, half the people are being truthful this morning. Um, do you doubt that maybe God really loves you? I know that's a doubt that a lot of people have. Sometimes uh, I think about that. Does God really, really love me? Do you doubt that God has really forgiven you? You think about all the things that you've done. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm 38 today. And I remember uh, when I was 18, uh, I did some things that I was not very proud of. Uh, and, and so sometimes the past comes back up. And you, the devil kind of makes you question if you really have, uh, if God's really forgiven you. What about that God is really going to maybe heal your sickness or a loved one's sickness? Do, do you, have you, have you gotten some news recently at the doctor's or, or a, a family member, a friend that's gotten some news and, and, and you doubt if, how things are really going to turn out? Uh, maybe you doubt that you're ever going to meet that person to finally marry. Uh, you know, you're 30 years old, you're, you're 35, you're 40, and you wonder if I'm ever going to meet that person. Or maybe you doubt that you're going to find that job that you finally really enjoy going to uh, at work. Because right now, you just dread every time that alarm clock goes off and you got to go into work. You know, I doubt my Cavs are going to win three straight games against the Golden State Warriors to win their first ever championship. Uh, you know, how can you give up 17 three-pointers in one game? And listen, man, like the first half, they showed up, buddy. They were aggressive. And then the second half is like everyone went out to lunch. And I don't, I'm, I'm done, man. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get riled up here. We just need to pray for a miracle because that's what it's going to take. <laughs> two, no, but seriously, two areas, two areas I wrestle with in doubt is one, <clears throat> that God can use me, that God can use me. I feel inadequate sometimes. You know, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not. There's a lot more people out there that are way smarter than I. And there's people in here that know the Bible a lot more than I know the Bible, even though I'm one of the pastors. You know, I, I, I wonder sometimes, I, I doubt, you know, can I be the godly husband my wife needs me to be? Can I really, can I really do that? I doubt that I can raise four children and not jack them up too bad. I mean, can I get a witness from any parents out there? I mean, seriously, dude. Like, I'm a, I'm a hot mess. I doubt that I can lead a campus of over 300 people. I mean, that's over three, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of families. That's a lot of responsibility. And, and I doubt that sometimes that, you know, that we're going to, I can take you to where we need to go in this camp, at this campus. You know, and then sometimes we, we compare. We compare ourselves to other people. And I, and I compare myself to, I compare myself to other pastors as well who are, uh, you know, just, their preaching is so strong and, and uh, 
and, and they're so much better looking than me. There's not many of them out there like that, just a few. Another area I struggle in doubt is that God will provide for my family's needs. Do any of you doubt that? That God is going to provide for your family's needs? You know, you don't have a real concept of money <coughs> until you grow up and are on your own. And then reality sets in, and you realize how much everything costs. You know, when mom and dad are taking care of you in high school and even in college, it's all good. But all of a sudden, you get that diploma, and you're on your own, and you're like, oh, crap. I think about my family being one emergency away from a financial crisis and how everything could change just in an instant. I think about putting four kids through college on a pastor's salary. And I did not go in the ministry to get rich. I think about all the student loans that I have right now. And I graduated college nearly 18 years ago, and I graduated seminary nearly 10 years ago, and it feels like I've barely chipped away at that, and, 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 I, and I wonder, I, I, I doubt that my kids won't have to have student loans as well. I doubt that I will have a retirement one day. Am I going to have to wear a blue vest checking people's receipts when I have white hair? And now listen, if you're doing that because you just need to get out of the house because you're bored, that's one thing. But if you're doing that to support yourself, then that, that makes me sad. It really does. And I don't want to be that guy. I know I shouldn't doubt that God will provide especially after I've seen how he has always provided for me and my family for these last 38 years. <clears throat> now, is doubt always a bad thing? The Bible includes so many examples of doubts, and we will talk about those throughout this series. <clears throat> Do you guys remember Bob Ross, the painter? Here's good old Bob. Listen, man. If I could have an afro as a white guy, that's what it would look like. That's a bad afro right there, buddy. I remember as a kid flipping through the stations, and I was trying to find cartoons or, or whatever it was. Actually, when I was a kid, that was before remotes. And you actually had to walk up to the TV and change the channel. Hashtag, the struggle was real. But I would come across Bob and his afro, and there's something about Bob that he would just draw you in. I mean, I remember, like, in junior high, I'd be watching, like, I mean, I watched MTV all summer long, man. I mean, I was watching Eddie, Eddie Vedder jump in the crowd. 
good grunge rock and roll, man. I mean, and, I, and so here I was, junior high, watching MTV, and all of a sudden I would walk up to the TV, change the channel, and come across Bob. And Bob had this soothing voice that would just draw you in, didn't he? And so Bob would, he would be painting this picture, and, and it would be beautiful. And all of a sudden, Bob would take a glob of paint and put it on there. And I'm like, Bob, what are you doing? What are you doing? Man, look, you're, you're ruining a perfect painting. And you know what Bob would do out of that blob of paint? He'd make a happy little tree. Or a happy little bird, and then that would be happy. I wouldn't be stressed out anymore. Sometimes I think that's how we feel about God. You know, we look at life, and we see this, this painting, and all of a sudden, like, there's a blob that all of a sudden comes out of nowhere. And we're like, whoa, 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 God, what's, what's that? What are you going to do with that? You know, we are his masterpiece. We are his creation, and he makes all things beautiful. And if you will just give it a little bit of time, you will see that in your life. You will see that in your life. There are two kinds of doubters that we find in Scripture. Number one is the skeptical, cynical doubter. The skeptical, cynical doubter. Like lots of Pharisees and other religious leaders in Christ's time, we see in Mark 8, 11 and 12, it says the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply. Can you just picture Jesus? Oh, inside. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. So Jesus, why did he say this? He knew the men were not sincere. They enjoyed being cynical and questioning everything. They already had signs. They saw, they saw Jesus perform miracles. I mean, I believe right after they just saw Jesus miraculously just feed 4,000 people with some fish and chips. And there are seven loaves, I'm sorry, 70 baskets of food left over. All right, so not only does Jesus take care of everyone's hunger, but then there's plenty left over. Listen, when God blesses, he'll bless you more than you could even fathom, you could even ask for. These Pharisees didn't really want truth because they had already more than enough signs to give them answers. <clears throat> they had the miracles in front of them, but they lacked one thing, a fundamental change of heart. A fundamental change of heart. Type 2. Type 2 of the, the other kind of doubter we see in Scripture. The honest doubter. 
as shown by the father in Mark 9, who had a son who was tormented by demons, was deaf and could not speak. So let me read this. This is called an actual Bible. I know we don't see it very much these days, but I got it off the shelf. So if you want to turn, if you have your Bible, we're not, there's too many verses to put on the screen. So if you have your Bible app or a real Bible, um, turn to Mark chapter 9, 14 through 29. Sorry, I got this cough, guys. So Mark 9, 14 through 29. The healing of a boy with an evil spirit. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. <clears throat> Just as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirits, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, I and most scholars believe that Jesus is not talking to the father. He is talking to the disciples. He's talking to disciples here. And that's important. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Please help us. <clears throat> if you can, Jesus, Jesus said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my belief. I do believe, Jesus, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirits. You deaf and mute spirits, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hands and lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up, and he stood up. 
After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Can you just hear the desperation of the father? If you have ever had, if you're a parent, if you've ever had a very sick child, I know you can relate to this. Have you ever had a, a sick child that the doctors gave you some really bad news and, and, uh, and you just broke and you just pleaded with God to do something? Now, it doesn't say how old this boy is, but the father tells Jesus that his son had this condition since childhood. So probably for many years here. I'm sure this family didn't get invited to many cookouts. You know, could you imagine them at, you know, at a barbecue in the backyard? What's Johnny doing? Oh, he's just rolling the ground, gnashing teeth, foaming at the mouth. Like, dude, no one's going to invite you anywhere, right? In verse 17, the father of the sick boy says to G Jesus, Teacher, I brought you my son. I brought you my son. The father takes the initiative even though there is doubt within him. The father didn't have to bring the boy to Jesus, but he did. What about you and me and the situations we might be facing right now? Has God put something on your heart that you just can't shake, that you just can't stop thinking about? If you don't move until all, all doubt is gone, you're probably going to stay right where you are. Let me repeat that. If you don't move until all doubt is gone, you're probably going to stay right where you are. How desperate are you for more of Jesus, and how desperate are you for change? in your life, and in that order. Listen, do you want your situation to change more than for you to change, more than you to draw closer to Jesus? Because if you're, want, if you're focused on more of the situation than Jesus, your priorities are out of whack. You need to focus more on Jesus and then your situation. We focus more on the problem than the solution. And God is the solution to everything in your life. There are so many times in my life that I walk by faith, yet I still had doubt. And if I let doubt overrule my faith, I wouldn't be where I am today. If I let doubt overrule my faith. But you know what? I still took a step of faith, even though I had doubt. But many of us are letting doubts prevent us from taking a step.
Jesus would rather have you doubt and do than doubt and don't. Jesus would rather have you doubt and do than doubt and don't. I think about how Christians get criticized for doing, for doing even when there is doubt, while other Christians who don't do anything get lifted up. I think about Christians who take a step of faith and fail, and they get ridiculed by other Christians. Or I think about churches that take a step of faith and get ridiculed by other churches when, when they want to stay safe. They want to stay safe. And we lift that up. And we say that's honoring to God. It's easy to live a comfortable life. But God never called Christians to live a comfortable life. He called us to serve and sacrifice. And when you do, that gets messy. When you do, that gets messy. Let's go back to the father and his doubts. What an awesome model of how we are all supposed to approach times of doubt in our life. He says, Lord, I believe, but please help the parts inside of me that still have unbelief. That kind of honesty and humility are things Jesus honors. Jesus honors humility. Someone says, the statement made by this desperate man reveals to us a great truth. The best way to get faith is to admit that we don't have it. This is the, this is the account of a man who is willing to admit that though he believed, he needed to believe even more, and he needed Jesus to do it. And he is relying, he is depending on Jesus to get him through and to help him believe. He's not trying to rely on his own strength, which oftentimes we do. Jesus already knows the strength and weaknesses of our faith. You know, we can deceive everyone else on where our faith is, but we can't deceive the divine. And who's the divine? The ruler of everything, which is God. You can deceive you can deceive even your own family. You can deceive your church. You can deceive people at work. You can deceive people in the community on, on where your faith is. But you can't deceive God. You can't do it. And I believe that God really appreciates honesty. Number two, or I guess I don't really have them numbered, so doubt creates Dialogue. Doubt creates dialogue. You know, when I doubt, guess who I talk to the most about my doubt? God. So when I doubt the most, I'm usually talking to God the most at the same time. Greg Boyd suggests that many people feel like doubt has been labeled as an enemy to faith. 
I feel that if we were to remove all doubt from our lives, we would quit seeking his guidance. We would then only have to rely on ourselves. I think doubt can actually help us draw closer to God through us trying to figure out what to do next and leaning on God to show us the next move to make. Uh, I, I, I keep a journal, and uh, real men journal. Just wanted to say that. Um, and I try to do one every single year. Uh, and I've really, I've been doing it for the last 16 years. So you can imagine how many journals I have. And as I read back, because I always go back and read my journals, as I read back, the times that I was really struggling or was faced with adversity or the times that I was really doubting is when I journaled the most. Listen, man, when things are going good, I mean, how much do we really, how much are we really talking to God, right? I mean, we should be talking to God, but a lot of times that's not how it is. But when I'm really struggling with doubts, I'm really dialoguing with God at the same time. Despite the doubt, God still delivers. Despite the doubt, God still delivers. So the father has brought his son to Jesus, and even though the father has doubt, God still delivers. God still delivers. The father has brought his son, and God delivers. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we focus more on the greatness of people instead of the greatness of God. And I believe this is one of the reasons why the Bible uh, is so real and why it talks about people's struggles, why it talks about people's doubts, because we can relate to that, man. Like if, if God just kept all the, all, the, all the great things people did, I think our focus would be on the people. But we see right here some doubt of the disciples. We see the doubt of the religious rulers, and we see the doubt of the dad as well. There's a lot of doubting going on right here. Listen, it's not about you. It's about God. The more you make this life about yourself, the more miserable you will be. The most selfish people I know in this life are people who always focus on themselves. Right? Don't point. But the people who focus on God is the people that I want to surround myself with. Even through, even if they're struggling, but they're keeping their eyes on the prize. They're keeping their eyes on Jesus. You know, we see the doubt of the religious rulers, and, they, and man, their hearts were just not right. So what about you? Is, where's your heart right now? Where's your heart this morning? Are you, one of, are you kind of like the religious rulers, even though you say, well, I'm not religious at all? What more does God have to do to show you that he loves you, that he has a plan, and he has a purpose for your life? Listen, there's some of you that shouldn't even be here. There's some of you that almost died. 
There's some of you that have overcome an illness or, or whatever it is. I mean, I, I know several people in here that have been in car accidents. I've been in several that I shouldn't have walked away from. Like, what, what, does, what more does God have to do to, sh- to reveal who he is to you? Because if you got a pulse, you got a purpose right now. So don't be that guy. Are you like the disciples? You know, Jesus said, there's some things that need to happen with prayer. I believe that the disciples try to cast out this demon without, in their own strength. I believe that even though God had given them the spirit, man, I got see how I just said God? And they're like, God! Yeah. Buckle up. Listen, are you trying to live this Christian faith on your own strength? Man, there's a story in there about the disciples trying to cast out a demon, and the disciples get whipped. They get beat up by this demon. Are you trying to overcome your doubt on your own strength, and so... What you see is what you're getting right now, or you're relying on Jesus to help you get through the doubts. The devil will make you feel defeated when you doubt. The devil will make you feel defeated when you doubt. Now, remember, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? He, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do your life. That's what he wants to do your marriage. That's what he wants to do your kids. That's what he wants to do this church. That's what he wants to do with churches around this community. He wants to destroy, and he's an accuser. When doubt arises, Satan will use that for you to question your faith, right? So you have doubt, and then it makes you question your faith. He'll say things like, you're doubting, and you call yourself a Christian? If, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't doubt. Or the enemy would say, you know, if you love God, you wouldn't doubt. You say you love God, but you're doubting. It says to me you don't love him. He's, he's very subtle. He's very subtle. And if you don't know Scripture, if you don't know the truth, that's why it's so important to get in Scripture on a regular basis, then you can't refute him. The lies that he throws at you, you can't refute him with truth. Satan will make you doubt that God has really forgiven you. I don't know about you, but I know for me, Satan loves to bring up my past, man. He loves to do that. Because if he can make me bring up my, he brings up my past, and he make me focus on my past, then I can't live for today, and I can't think about what God has for me in the future. He wants us to live in the past. And some of you need to let the past die. You need to walk away. When God forgives you, it is complete. He himself said in Isaiah 43, 25, I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my 
own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You know, you may have doubts, and you think about your past, and God's saying, what are you talking about? If he's forgiven you, it's like you've never even done them before. Maybe some of you are doubting if you're really saved right now. Do some of you doubt if you're really saved, if, if you die tonight, that, that you're going to go to heaven? Here's a helpful test for you. Here's some evidence in a believer's life. You once lived in sin and loved it. Do you now desire deliverance from it? You know, uh, when you're a parent, it's, it's amazing how much more sensitive you get, especially with music on the radio. I had some jams back in the day, baby. Usher was my boy. I can't listen to USHER anymore in the car or pretty much anywhere, especially when the kiddos are in the back seat. I'm like, whoa, 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 a second. But you know what? Back in the day, man, I lived a sinful life, and I loved it, man. I had fun. I had fun, and I didn't think twice about it. Now, just making me think about some of that stuff makes me cringe. Because I don't love sin. I love God. Here's another way you can see evidence in a believer's life. You were once self-confident and trusting in your own goodness. Then you came to realize that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. You know, you ask anyone, I even ask, you ask people at work, man. I remember doing evangelism in, in downtown Dallas when I lived there. And I would, I would, I would, I mean, I was bold, man. I mean, I would go on the street, I would go on the street, and I would just ask people, and, and like gospel tracts and all that. And, and I would ask people, you know, if you die tonight, where would you go? And people say, well, I, you know, I think heaven. And I would say, well, why would you go to heaven? And, and the number one answer I got all the time was people said, because I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person. And then, and then I bring up the Ten Commandments, and there's, you can't refute that. After we go through the Ten Commandments, most people feel like I'm not good anymore. Because if you think you're going to heaven because you're good, you're in trouble, and you're deceived. And God has the law to show you your sin. Because until you realize your sin, you'll never change, and you'll never cling to the Savior. So that's how I know another evidence that I know I'm saved. Because my trust is in God, not myself. Another thing is you once sought to hide from God and rebelled against God and his authority. Do you now look up to him, desiring to know him and yield yourself to him? Many people don't want anything to do with God. Like basically they are God. You know, like they're in control. It's all up to them. But you come to a point where instead of rebelling against God, you 
desire him and you yield to him. And so when he calls you out, when you're being a chump, you don't get all defensive, but you're teachable. And your heart is soft and, and you want God to talk to you and you want God to speak to you. You know, the evidence of fruit in your life. Do you have love? Do you have joy? Are you a joyful person? Are you, are you, are you peaceful? Do you, is there peace inside of you? Do, you? do you have patience, kindness, goodness, self-control? I mean, these are fruits in a believer's life. If you don't have any of these, you have to wonder, have I really surrendered my life to God? Yeah, man, we're all a work in progress. I understand. But there should be some evidence of that. Like if you said you accepted Jesus, but you're no, your life is no different than it was before, has, has, have you really been saved? God delights to increase the faith of his children and will oftentimes use doubt to make that happen. God is more loving, more kind, more forgiving, and more patient than you and I can even fathom. The bridge is a place where you can bring your doubts and we can help you work through those. Listen, I'm your pastor and I'm going to bring my doubts to the table. I got doubts. I shared some of them. You got doubts. So let's come together and work through those doubts so we can step out in faith instead of, you know, 20, 30 years from now, looking back and having regrets because we let our doubt dictate our lives. I don't want to be that person. I want my four babies to see their dad and their mom walk out in faith and say, ma'am, mom and dad, I knew that 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 was a difficult time for you guys. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of doubt. And, and, but you guys stepped out in faith. And we saw that. And I want to inspire them to walk out in faith. God will use me to help you, and he will use you to help me. If we can't be real with each other and can't be real with Jesus, then let's go home, man, because we're just pretending. God can use your doubts to draw closer to him, not farther away. Jesus would rather have you doubt and do then doubt and don't. Doubt creates dialogue. Despite the, the doubts, God still delivers. It's not up to you, man. It's not up to you. He's in control. If you have always doubted God, but you feel a tugging on your heart right now, listen, man, it's not that spicy burrito you had for breakfast this morning. It's the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus saying to you, Come to me even with your doubts. Come to me right now, June 12th, 2016. Come to me with your doubts. Maybe you're facing a situation right now and you have a lot of doubts. Be honest before God right now and lay it at his feet. Bridge, let's doubt together. Let's doubt together and let's grow together. And let's go deeper than we've ever been before. Let me pray.